Hi, I'm Angela Ardolino and welcome to Your Natural Dog, my podcast featuring in-depth conversation with the world's leading holistic veterinarians and pet care pros. Join us every week as we reveal natural alternatives to the outdated, one-size-fits-all pet care model we're used to. If you like what you hear, please make sure to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. The only way we can get our message out to pet parents all over the world is with your support. Stop barking! I'm trying to record a podcast! Hey everybody, it's Angela Ardolino with Your Natural Dog, and my very special guests today are Dr. Doug Neven and Chelsea Kent, both from Solutions Pet Food, and Chelsea, who is part owner of Parsley Pet, which is a sensitivity test to test allergens, both environmental and food. And what we're going to talk about today are all of these tests that we can get and purchase online to test things like allergies, DNA, food sensitivities, all kinds of things. And I just think some of them may not be all up, they're cracked up to be. So I decided to bring in the experts and ask them about these tests. So stay tuned. And we're back with Dr. Doug and Chelsea Kent. And thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like these are one of those topics that I wish like an influencer or dog blogger, dog dog mom will take on. And I hope they do because I hope someone takes a comparison of all of these tests, these at home tests that exist. And I reached out to Chelsea because you are one of the owners of Parsley Pet, and I'm sure that you put them through the ringer before you got involved with that. And I knew to immediately call you. And the reason that I'm bringing the subject up is that I do know of somebody who is an influencer who has senior dogs who, of course, when I watch the dogs, I can see them, you know, typical big lab struggling. Mm. I see the struggle because I'm aware of it now. Um, And I'm like, oh my gosh, they would benefit so much. Uh, But this person took a test. um, It was five strands, I believe, a hair strand test. And that test said that not only is her dog have a severe intolerance to hemp, and she's kind of excited about that because now she doesn't have to pay for that $70 bottle of hemp anymore. But also it turns out the dog is perfectly fine with eating chicken. Hmm. And I know the two of you know that chicken isn't chicken isn't chicken. And Mm -hmm. so this pissed me off and I reached out to (laughs) Chelsea and that's why we're here today because I know my expertise is in cannabis and plants and uh, adaptogens. And I know that there is no test that exists for testing hemp or hemp intolerances. So I immediately got the red flag that went, what is this test? How in the heck do you get that information from a strand or a couple strands of hair? So is it bullshit? What are these tests? Like which ones are really good? Because have you done it? Have you done a Google test? You literally, a Google search, you literally type in test for my dog and I can't even keep up. There's so many five strands, mm. easy DNA at my pet runner up. I know personally about Glacier Peak, Dodds, Nutriscan, Embark, and of course, Parsley Pet. 
but I had no idea all of these existed. So how does a pet parent navigate? Which ones should we be getting? Which ones are useful? What is in the information we're searching for? I know most people want to know, why is my dog scratching and itching and has stinky ears, which is usually allergies? Is that the main reason? Not necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) Allergies in many cases, I'd say probably most cases, are really the body being overly reactive as a result of something else that's going on. There's some kind of imbalance that created a situation where the body feels like it needs to be overly responsive to stuff. So that could be parasites, like intestinal parasites, topical parasites. Um, That could be hormone imbalances. It could be heavy metal toxicity. Oh my God, I love that you just said hormone imbalances. Why isn't anybody talking about (laughs) hormone imbalances? (laughs) And of course, the only reason I'm talking about it is because I'm going through my own hormonal imbalances and going, wait a minute, dogs are spayed and neutered. What are we doing for them? I'm just feeling what it feels like to not have estrogen and testosterone. I can't imagine what our dogs are feeling. Didn't mean to interrupt. Thank you for bringing that up. So important. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately, the big picture point there is there are a lot of different tests because there are different ways to test different problems. So there's not a test that's going to tell you all of the different things. Sometimes you have to get a little bit of information out of one test so that you can say, okay, now I have a better idea that I need to be looking in this direction and then get a different test for that. So I think that most of them have some kind of value where, you know, depending on what you're looking for, you're going to be able to get a little more information out of each individual one. So you kind of have to break it down to your pet and what you're looking for. But there are definitely some out there that I can't fathom how they would work. So I could pass it to you, Dr. Doug. (laughs) What can you get from a, a piece of hair, especially a dog's hair, which I mean, I don't know enough about hair, but isn't it always falling out? And how would we get that type of information out of a strand or a couple strands of hair? Well, there is some information that can be gained from a hair sample, like heavy metals and things like that. Oh, cool. You know, I just had a client come in a couple of months ago with one of these results from one of the hair tests. And they had like, I don't know, 10 pages of information of all the stuff the dog was not or was allergic to. And when I checked out this website ahead of time, and I don't even remember which company it was, they never said how they get the information. They didn't say what the test entails. And I pointed that out to the client. I think that some of these companies use muscle testing on the hair, which okay. I, I, I don't have a problem with muscle testing yeah. if the person knows what they're doing. But not everyone who thinks that they know what they're doing with muscle testing necessarily gets reasonable response. So muscle testing can be done without the at being in person? I didn't get to that one yet, but that's the other thing, you know. Because I believe in it too, but I believe in it when you're in right. person doing it. So usually there's a surrogate where, you know, like there's a person touching the animal right. and then their arm is used right. as, as the um, lever for, for, the, for the testing. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that could be done or not. Okay. But I, I'll tell you that, a couple of problems that I have with these tests. One is they seem to give bizarre results 
like you found. And the other thing is, I mean, they're testing for strange things like artichoke and aardvark and, you know, like things that a dog would never be exposed to. And yet somehow they're allergic to them. And yet they're not testing for many of the things that Chelsea just brought up that could be one of the many factors that are contributing to its allergies. Right. And, and I'll tell you that there was a veterinarian, I, I went to a conference once and we were talking about these uh, tests and, and one veterinarian said that he took a sterile swab and a sterile forceps and took, you know, filaments off of this swab That's and so put it in a sterile container and sent it to one of these labs, one of these, these companies and you know that that sterile swab was allergic to several different things. <laughs> so that's when I knew, okay, this stuff just isn't right. Now, there was a time when these tests didn't exist at all. And I'm sure they exist in the human side of things. I just, I felt, is this what we went to our vet for in the past, right? Mm -hmm. And so now those are tests that you guys always did in office. And now it's a convenience for us to do it at home so that we can figure out what it is or we figure it out and then we turn and go to our vet. I'm confused. Are we saving money, time? Is it just a good way to make some extra money? Like why? What are we doing with this? Is it fulfilling? Of course, I know about the huge shortage of veterinarians, especially integrative and holistic. Forget about it. So is this a tool to help pet parents educate and figure out on their own or get the results and call up their favorite holistic and do a telehealth consult? Like, why are we seeing them all over the place now? So in my experience, most pet parents do struggle with getting their vets to agree to do the tests that they feel are important. Wow. Um, sometimes that could potentially be an issue that they just don't have familiarity with a certain test. So they decide that they don't want to take the time to dig through and figure out which test it is and submit it to the lab. Sometimes I think that it's that some people ruin it for other people where they're, you know, the vets will become really acclimated to people saying no to tests. You know, the vet feels like 15 things are important, but they've established in their mind that no pet parent is going to pay for those things. This is so true. And it's so true and the human side of things, too, because I literally don't mean to keep bringing up my hormone imbalances, but same thing. <laughs> uh, I didn't even know about it. Oh, thank goodness an older woman told me, wait a minute, you know, you're da da Oh, really? Okay. Researched the hell out of it, went to a holistic doctor, and she was going to take my blood. And I knew that's not the best mm -hmm. way to test my hormones because I did all my research beforehand. And I said... I don't want to do a blood test. I'd like to do a saliva test. And she's like, oh, that's a lot more expensive and you have to do it throughout the whole day. Yes, but it's actually more accurate. So I would like to do that instead. So that is exactly, you need to research before you go in and know what you're doing with these tests. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's so darn true. They just get into the yeah. habit thinking, you know, what am I supposed to write in? I just... I want it all. I'm always going in with my pets and everything going, I want everything tested. I'm coming once a year. I want it all tested. Everything show me. Um, but that's so true. Sorry to interrupt you. Okay. And a lack of understanding can also cause some vets to be averse to trying something. So like with the hair testing, like what 
Parsley Pet does, there are a lot of different labs that are out there. And when Parsley Pet was originally set up, I was not the one that started it, but I did actually help with the process of it. And the person that set it up, he cut multiple hair samples from his dog and sent them to a bunch of different labs to see what the results would be and be able to interview the labs to identify who was the most accurate and why. And all of them came back different. So if you're a vet and you're trying to get good information and you haven't had time to research multiple labs for a specific type of test that you're not familiar with, then you're probably just going to avoid it and be like, you know, get that somewhere else. So I think there's benefit to some of the tests, but that does also open it up to tests that a vet would never support being available to, as we're starting to see. It's like the expansion of some companies being like, oh, that that came out and people think that's useful. So I'm going to do this thing and at least I'll make some sales. Right. <laughs> or they or they take a human product or a human test and go, oh, we can make a whole nother stream of income if we have a pet product or something like that and release it. And it doesn't always translate over to the animal. When it comes to supplements, it doesn't a lot of times because there's flavorings and xylitol and all kinds of things because we want it to taste a certain way and the dog doesn't care. Or if they care, we don't care because we're giving them their medicine. (laughs) Which ones do you like? For instance, I think that there's definitely, uh, I love Parsley Pet. I love Embark for the reason that you can find out the DNA of your dog. Is that really finding the DNA of your dog? Because if you do know the DNA of your dog, then you can look at what diseases and ailments they might be prone to because of their genetics. Which ones do you like and recommend and or think are useful? Okay, I'll take that one. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I think that the DNA tests are of limited usefulness because unless it's a purebred dog, just because it has some genes from different breeds, and there's something called hybrid vigor, which means that the more different breeds that go into an individual animal, the less likely they are to have the um, genetic flaws of any of those individual animals. Really? So for me, the genetic tests, I I think they're interesting. And I don't really know one from the other, to be honest with you. But I, I don't know that they would change the way I would treat an animal. Got it. That's all I have to say about it. If you're like us, your pets are part of the family. That's why at CBD Dog Health, we created a line of human-grade, full-spectrum hemp products tailored specifically to your furry friend's needs. Whether they're suffering from fear of fireworks, arthritis from old age, or even seizures and cancer, research shows that a high-quality CBD oil can make a big difference for them. Enter coupon code RADIO at CBDDogHealth.com for 15% off your first order. That's R-A-D-I-O. CBD Dog Health, healing naturally. I love what you just said that I always find that, you know, these people that are like, I have this dog, it has no problems. And it was a rescue. Where'd you find it? Oh, it was just wandering the streets. And I'm like, great. He wasn't exposed. He wasn't over vaccinated. He didn't get the flea and tick. He, he probably is mixed and has, I'm going to add this now. He also probably has a mix of all kinds of different breeds in him and made him even stronger instead of weaker. That is very interesting. I had no idea that that was an actual thing. So for these allergy tests, 
how in the heck are they testing? Like, how do we, I understand how metals show up in a hair strand test, but how are we testing allergens? You know, how do we know that a dog is allergic to a certain protein or something like that? Well, I'll start by describing how something like Parsley Pet works, and then I'll pass it over to Dr. Doug for the allergy conversation. So with other hair tests like Parsley Pet, what you're trying to get is the minerals and heavy metals that were uptaken into the hair tissue as the hair was growing. So over time, like my hair is very long. So like this hair down here would be several years ago for information, whereas up near my scalp, it's more recent information on what's going on inside the body. And there can be a variety of different things that you can pretty much deduce out of a hair sample. So in addition to mineral imbalances and heavy metal toxicities, you can often identify the cause of why that might have occurred, like a vitamin D deficiency, vitamin A deficiency. Sometimes you can see parasites. Certain heart disease pets, I've been able to tell almost right away, like the imbalance occurred as the result of one of the organs that's responsible for managing minerals not working effectively. So you always want to validate once you get that information and go ahead and go get a different test that looks at that specific thing. But what it's not uptaking is like active enzymes and things that would have some kind of physical reaction. Like if you were exposed to an allergen where you normally would get a rash. Like a hair sample is not going to be able to do that. So that's where I'll pass it over to Dr. Doug. Yeah, that's, that's a good summary. I mean, typically when I'm doing testing for allergies, it's a blood test that I send to a lab that analyzes it for the antibodies. And, and so if there's antibodies to something that are really high, it shows that the animal's having a reaction to that. If you went to a dermatologist, They'll usually do skin testing, just like they do in people where you inject small amounts of the allergen. And actually, a lot of times they'll do the blood test as well and then kind of correlate the two results because no one test has all of the answers to it. So a blood test isn't going to tell you everything. And according to most of the experts, blood tests can help you with inhalant allergies to understand those, but not so much with food allergies. Now, there is a company that I recently um, got information from, and they, they say that the way that they analyze the blood, they can tell about food allergies. I, I, it's just a little up in the air on that. Uh, Dr. Gene Dodds has a salivary test for food allergies. I have, I'm just not all that familiar with that, but I am familiar with Dr. Gene Dodds. I don't know the name of the test. Nutriscan. Um, okay. I, I do trust Dr. Dodds. So do I. Because I know her. Right. So, I believe that that her test is valid for food allergies. So that so a test comes back and says like this influencers uh, comes back and says that her dog is well, let's say her dog can't have chicken. This brings me to another thing that I just learned about, you know, turkey, whether it's warming or whether it's a cooling protein and um, went down that deep dive. And of course, it's cooling, but it's cooling if it's the turkey that's roaming wild eating what it's supposed to, but if it's a factory farm chicken, then it's probably going to be more of a warming. So I don't understand how they could say you have an intolerance to 
chicken or you don't have an intolerance to chicken. I don't understand how they're doing that. I do understand it with the environmental allergies because of what or how our body reacts to it. But isn't it different for the gut? There are a lot of variables that need to be considered with everything. And that's, it's almost too much to really bring into a short discussion. But the important thing to consider there, one, pet parents are usually trying to do their best. So just make sure that you're doing your best when it comes to sourcing. But also remember that the body's not stagnant. You know, it's, it's always changing. So I always tell people, you know, if your pet was exposed to a bunch of pesticides on a given day, and then you do allergy tests on that day, they're probably going to be more reactive to more things because their system is like busy trying to detox and handle this other load. They don't have the resources available to have a higher tolerance with normal things versus if they're doing well on a given day, you might see an entirely different allergy panel with only a few exceptions. So I think that it's valuable to just keep in mind that establishing trends over time is one of the most important things that you could do to really verify that there's a consistent issue and it wasn't just a circumstantial problem. And also going back to you asking earlier, like why are there so many different tests and how do you navigate them? I know everybody wants to spend less money. Everybody wants to just have answers really easily. But in most cases, in my experience, using things in tandem with each other is the most helpful thing that you can do. So, you know, I've seen on parsley pet test results, massively high iron, like the highest that I've ever seen. In in this case, it was a wolf. And they had submitted the blood tests of that same wolf. And for years, the dog had been severely anemic. Wow. So those wow. two tests in tandem are really fascinating because it's showing that there's some kind of issue where the blood is not maintaining the iron and it's being uptaken excessively. So you see a lot of that, like you can see issues with selenium and identify that you probably should have a thyroid test done. Like it's, it can't be viewed as a, this is the magic bullet test, pretty much no matter what test you're doing, as Dr. Doug was saying, a blood test is going to give you some direction in most cases on what the next test should be. Yeah, I love that. And Angela, another thing I'll add to your ideas about turkey, whether it's wild turkey or farm-raised turkey. The other thing is the processing. High heat processing totally changes the characteristics and the effect that the food has on the body. Now, it may or may not change an allergy test, but it definitely changes the effect that the food has on the body. Right. And then everything that is preservatives, other flavorings, all of the chemicals that they use in a lot of conventional, especially kibble. So, Wow, you just said something that made me want to go ask 5 million other questions about something else. <laughs> I, I, want, I want my listeners to realize that I am asking all the things that I want to know. Also, it's totally selfish. So I'm like, mm, I got you guys here. Let's see. I want to know about this next, but I won't. I'll, I'll save it for another one. Because, of course, you talked about processing. And, you know, I think it's so funny how <sighs> I feel like, what what we were talking about processing two years ago, we were 
going to sue the FDA for, you know, saying that everything needed to be HPP'd and now nobody gives two shits about it. And I'm like, well, I remembered what was said two years ago and I changed everything and made sure. So it is, it's so hard for pet parents who really want to do the right thing. There's so much information out there. I love that what you said about the DNA test, that totally did. I've never done any of these tests except for Parsley Pet, which the only reason we're not going over the results is because I did it so long ago with Nina, my Doberman, but I found it fascinating and couldn't wait to talk about all the results. But I'll maybe we'll do that for another one for one of my dogs, because you do find as they get older, you think you've got stuff figured out, but then they get older and then allergies come out of nowhere and food intolerances come out of nowhere. And you do have to make changes as they get older. So I feel like I see how a pet parent would go, well, let me go, let me just see what's wrong so I don't have to go to the vet. (laughs) It totally makes sense. So I also want to talk about, I remember learning about glyphosate testing. How is that used? And is it something where you have a feeling about it so you want to test and see if that's the issue? And then I want to know what the heck do you do when you do get these results and we go over them with our trusted holistic vet. How do we, what do we do with them? How do we detox from them? So sorry, I asked too many questions. So tell me about glyphosate testing first, which I remember my very first podcast was with, oh my God, I forgot his name, who put out a glyphosate test. And I remember talking about it with him, but tell me about how you're testing it and how a pet parent can use that to their advantage. Uh, So glyphosate is a pesticide. Surprisingly, a lot of people don't know that. I I can't believe it. (laughs) It has been linked to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in humans. There are, you know, a lot of arguments on whether or not it's really damaging, but the seems to me the only company that feels that it's not damaging is the one that makes it. So (laughs) the primary test that we do is a urine test and The lab that we use can also test pretty much anything. Like we did have someone send in an actual cancerous tumor to test it for glyphosate one time. So they're capable of doing anything. The test itself just gives an indicator of the glyphosate level at an acute time with the urine test. So it's not showing a really long stint of data you'd have to do them more regularly. But if you think that maybe your environment is being sprayed too much, if you're worried about the food, then you can send in the urine sample and determine like how extreme is this exposure and what do I need to do about it? And jumping back a little bit, I did some tests with the New Year Pet Food Project with Karen Becker and Rodney Habib. And we found glyphosate levels in all of the foods that we tested and they were you know moderate in some like nobody really wants any glyphosate in their pet's food science says that anything over 0.1 parts per billion can cause um, fatty liver in rats so we don't want any but there were some that were as low as like 16 The highest one was a super premium natural food, and it was 552.1 parts per billion. Oh, my gosh. Which, if you look at how many grams a day 
a 50 pound dog would eat, that dog would actually be exceeding the 175,000 nanogram maximum that the United States EPA puts out there for humans. So the maximum exposure tolerance for the company, company, sorry, country that has the lowest standards on the planet, <laughs> like Europe says it shouldn't be over 30,000. We say 175 and any dog eating that food would be getting that much every single day. And and we don't even know what happens to it when they're baking it at really high temperatures or what mm -hmm. the chemical turns into and how much more dangerous it could be mm -hmm. for the pet. So but we do know it's still in there because we did the testing after the processing was already done. So cooking definitely doesn't eliminate it. So if you do find that your pet is high in glyphosate, the first thing that I recommend doing is analyzing food and environment. What are the likely exposures? Secondary, you would want to do a kidney and liver detox. So there are a ton of different herbal products out there, homeopathic products, you know, that's something that you could kind of determine if you want to do a short-term or long-term detox for. My recommendation is do it pretty regularly because we unfortunately have to live in a lot of that. Yep. I know that I know from the human side of things that, you know, there's certain crops we want to stay away from because they are the dirty dozen, the the ones that use glyphosate and these pesticides more than anything. And there's no getting it at back out of that plant. You know, my my own darn family, <laughs> I remember being 16 and watching them spray Roundup, which is glyphosate, all over their corn and soybean. And at six, I, I, I want to say it was between 14 and 16. I said, why are you putting poison all over everything? And he said, it's great. It doesn't kill the plant anymore. It just kills the pesticides. What's interesting is that one of my family members grows tobacco organically. And so I remember being a teenager and going, do you do this? And he goes, no, absolutely. That stuff is poison. It's awful. You know, all of this. And I'm like, what do you do? And he literally was going to Costco and buying soybean oil, I believe, and bulk to spray on his tobacco instead, because it did the same thing without any of the poison. Really interesting now, I don't think any of them listen to me, but re really interesting now is he's a lot older now, or my organic uh, cousin, farmer, and now they all want to get into hemp. And of course, they can't use any of their fields because it has to be grown mm. organically and it takes six years to make it organic again. So guess who's the best friend, family member now that they used to all make fun of who's now the favorite? <laughs> <laughs> the one that has the hemp, the organic land still, uh, probably the only organic in his area because it is just all farming. It's all just dumps it on. It is so unhealthy and bad. And then we eat it and then we feed it to our pets. So it's, it's terrible. I think a common misconception is that the primary source of glyphosate is on the crops themselves. And that's true for some crops. But the primary source of exposure is actually crop desiccation. So if you look up glyphosate desiccation online, it'll explain what that is. And basically, if you have a really, really, really large field of any number of plants and you want to do the most inexpensive harvesting and get them all at once, but they're not ripe all at once, then two weeks prior to harvesting, they'll spray the whole field with glyphosate to start 
the ripening process, basically to start killing the plants so that they're all ripe simultaneously and they can use the machines to run through. So there are multiple different crops that people don't associate with glyphosate because we're not spraying it on there for pesticides. We're just spraying it on there for desiccation. So this is the reason why you also have your own food company, <laughs> right? <laughs> which I thank you for so that I don't have to start one because I think I would, I, I look at what you guys do and I'm like, unbelievable. So tell me a little bit about solutions because you're obviously sourcing from places that we don't have to worry about this type of exposure. It's real food. It's free of preservatives. And how are you able to do it? And others aren't because it's a, a matter of cost and profit? I think that that is part of it. Part of it is networking with the right people, like knowing the right people, knowing the right farmers, knowing the right farmers that know the right farmers. And you can't use a small number of farms to source. You have to really be widespread because if you stress any one farm too much, then they have to change their practices because it's just not sustainable at a certain size of growth. So we have to use a lot of tiny farms and just always be networking with the right people for that. We do the same with our mushrooms and our hemp, <laughs> a small co-op of farms. Exactly. So I think that the cost issue is something that I've heard a lot where a lot of raw food companies, they're like, well, I can't source better than this because my customers won't pay for it. And mm. we just took a different route. Like the the price of the food that we have, Solutions Pet Products, in case we miss that, I can't remember. That's how much a food has to cost in order to be that quality. Like you can't go less. It's not that we are making a larger profit. I would argue we're probably making a smaller profit, but just doing it really ethically. So the way that we offset the cost is packing in the calories and making it as nutrient dense as possible so you can feed a lot less of it, which makes it one of the most affordable foods. But if you if you aren't balancing the high cost with high nutrition, then it does become unaffordable for the majority of people. And it's just going up and up. <laughs> I always tell clients, it's not that this food is expensive. It's that the processed food is cheap. Right. <laughs> it is. And, you know, let's repeat that. Let food be thy medicine that, you know, even from what I do, people think that uh, taking our, even our all natural supplements, they're on the all natural bandwagon and think that that's going to solve everything. And we're like, if you're not feeding them the right thing and feeding that gut, it's not, it, they may feel a little better, but it's not resolving the issue at all. I'm going to guess that I've probably talked to you guys too long already. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to explain that. Hopefully we made a little bit more sense to it and help pet parents navigate through these tests and then what to do if they do get can they, uh, Dr. Doug, can they do telehealth with you? Can they contact you? And I do know, Chelsea, they can do consults with you. I saw that on your page. Can they do it with you also, Dr. Doug? No, I just do in-person consultations. Well, if you're lucky enough to see Dr. Doug in Pennsylvania, you're lucky. I wish I could go to you. Thank you so much. Where can people find out more information on solutions and Parsley Pet? Solutionspetproducts.com and parsleypet.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hope to see you guys soon in the flesh. Thank you. Take care. 
for listening to today's episode. Please make sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening from. This is the best way to help pet parents like you find these episodes and get access to all our content. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Your Natural Dog and at AngelaArtolino.com. Introducing MycoDog, an award-winning line of medicinal mushroom extracts combined with adaptogens like ashwagandha, astragalus root, and bacopa monieri, made specifically for your pets. When it comes to mushrooms, sourcing really matters. Unlike other products on the market that are grown in China or elsewhere, the mushrooms in MycoDog tinctures are grown here in the United States to the highest quality standards. MycoDog offers three formulas designed to support senior dogs, as well as those suffering from dementia and canine cognitive disorder, breathing and respiratory issues, or autoimmune diseases and cancer. Use coupon code YNDPODCAST at MycoDog.com for 10% off these fantastic fungi.